in prayer. Father God, we come to you this morning just thanking you for your word. Thank you for the means of grace that you have provided for us as the church to worship you. Uh, prayer, fellowship, the reading of your word, the singing of psalms, uh, the fellowshipping of the saints. We, we thank you, Lord, that you provide these ways for us to grow in you. And we thank you, Lord, that you provide these as a means for us to love and serve uh, the saints, love and serve each other. And Father, we thank you for uh, the grace that is found in Jesus Christ, who died in our place on the cross for our sins. Lord, we thank you that because of Christ, we are able to come before you in prayer, just as I'm doing right now. So, Father, I come to you this morning um, because of Christ and his finished work on the cross in our behalf. And, Lord, we come to you this morning to just give praise to you. Lord, your word tells us to praise the Lord, to praise the Lord, O my soul, that I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, and he returns to the earth. In that very day, his strength perishes. And Lord, we come to you this morning praising you because you are the only God to whom we can trust. The only God to whom we can worship. Lord, we're not to put our trust in people, though we trust people. We're not to put our trust in them because, Lord, man does fail us. Lord, we have not put our trust in human leaders, in mortal beings, in, in politicians. Because, Lord, in them there is no salvation. But, Lord, we have hope and we put our trust in you, the Lord our God, the creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. Lord, we do this because you are forever faithful. One day you will bring perfect justice throughout the earth, and that is why we trust in you. But Lord, when we think about it, you provide for all the needs of your people. We thank you that you have filled the hungry, that you have provided for us, that you have set us free from the bondage and tyranny of sin. Lord, how blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob. Lord, we, we are so blessed, those of us who trust in you. We have such privilege, Lord, as believers that sometimes we don't, we don't think about it. We take it for granted. But, Lord, how blessed we are that our help is in you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, how blessed we are that our hope 
is in the Lord our God. Lord, we thank you that you love perfectly and you love with an everlasting love those who are covered with your righteousness. We worship you, Lord, as the maker and sustainer of all things. As Paul proclaimed before the Areopagus in Acts 17, in you, Lord, we live and move and have our being. You are the maker and sustainer of all things. We give thanks to you, God. We glorify you for your wondrous deeds. But Lord, in, in spite the fact of how blessed we are by your goodness, Lord, despite the fact that we're under the cover of your grace, Lord, we must still confess that we have sinned against you, that we have broken your law, which is written on our hearts as well as in the scriptures. Lord, we've disregarded the voice of conscience. When our conscience has told us to not sin, we have disregarded that voice of our conscience, Lord, that you're given all people. Lord, we have grieved the Holy Spirit by spurning the clear direction of him. And Lord, at times we have even refused the clear commands of your holy word. But Lord, in spite of all this, you still daily show us grace and long suffering. And in Christ we are forgiven. Lord, as I pray before I pray now, purge us Purge our lives of sin. Cleanse our souls from guilt. Deliver us from earthly affections. Lord, guide our feet away from the path of evil. When evil comes our way, when we're tempted to do evil, Lord, guide our feet away from that path. Lord, your word tells us in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, to abstain from the very appearance of evil. And Lord, make us to walk in the ways of righteousness. For the sake of your holy name. May we pursue the beauty of your holiness. And the security of the hope that you have set before us. May we never lose our firm assurance. In a salvation that is forever. Lord thank you for protecting us against. The evil one against. The devices and schemes of Satan. Thank you, Lord, for such a great high priest who intercedes for us always. Thank you, Lord, for your word, which guides us and teaches us. Graciously, Lord, empower us to bind it upon our hearts as we hear it, as we read it, and as it is preached. And Lord, set our minds on you. We long this morning, Lord, to understand your truths and to observe how you operate so we can see blessing in every trial and joy in every sorrow. Lord, fill our hearts with gratitude and praise and may we see your design in everything as man seeks to rebel against your created order and your created design. May we see your design in everything. Cause us, Lord, to proclaim your gospel to all who we hear and may we gain a better understanding hearing because both our doctrine and our practice show forth the glory of Christ in his saving work. 
And Father, I pray this morning for the other brethren at our other churches, sister churches, like-minded men, who will cause them to proclaim your gospel, to proclaim the truth of your gospel. To proclaim from the pulpit that Jesus is Lord. To proclaim the truth, to be the beacon of truth in a world full of lies. In a world that is upside down, Lord, may we proclaim the truth that is right side up. Help us as men to do that this morning. And Lord, in every condition of life, whether we struggle or prosper, whether we suffer or rejoice, may we know that in your hands all these things are being worked together for our good and for your eternal glory. Lord, work things out in all of our lives for your glory and for your purposes. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. We praise the Lord for the privilege of prayer and praying to our God. Amen. We're in our last sermon in the parables of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. My prayer as I was preparing this week was that these uh, sermons, these parables have been a blessing to you all to help you grow in grace, to know the Lord more, and to read the Bible in good context. Um, that's, that's my hope and prayer for this, this series that... that uh, we are able to grow as a church and grow as individuals in our faith and our dependence on God and seeing what the kingdom of God is like and what God requires in his kingdom. And that God gives us the grace to live up to that. So our last parable is the parable of the talents. And it is in Matthew 25, it is on the hills of the parable of the ten virgins that we looked at last week. And this is the word of the Lord. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received five talents went and traded with them, and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you have delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, 
Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also went. I'm sorry. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, it would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him. And give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has. More will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have. Even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant. Into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You notice in these parables. You see that last verse. A lot there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know people that mischaracterize Christ. Uh, act as if he's never talked about hell and eternal punishment. But he talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. And we see in these parables a common theme. Of those who are unprofitable and unfruitful. And those who are not true <clears throat> believers like the the wheat and the tares thrown into the fire which represents the judgment of hell so we, 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 we see here that there is an emphasis you don't want to overemphasize you want to you know like I always say fall into either ditch but we must have a balanced view that hell is talked about by Jesus that he wasn't all love just as we talked about uh, in our catechism this morning God is not all mercy and no justice or judgment God is both merciful and he is just at the same time and the same balanced view we have to have with Christ and his teachings concerning uh, heaven and hell so as the parable of the ten virgins is about readiness this parable is about faithfulness and diligence in light of Christ's second coming the parable of the, of the ten virgins was about being ready at Christ's coming. This parable deals more with faithful and diligence in light of Christ's second coming. So just some points of interpretation there. There's seven points of interpretation in this parable. Number one, the master of the servants is Christ. The servants in this parable are 
individuals in the church or individual believers. The talents are the gifts of grace entrusted to each servant according to their ability. You see that in uh, verse 15 to each according to his own ability. That's a very key phrase in this parable. Number four, the master's return in this parable is Christ's second coming. The settling of accounts is the day of judgment when the master comes back to settle the accounts with those who he gave the talents to. That is the day of judgment. The faithful servants are fruitful Christians who are fruitful to some degree and who receive a reward. And the last point of interpretation is the wicked servant is the hypocrite. The one who is fruitless and a false Christian. What is the central point of this parable? That God rewards those who are what? Faithful in utilizing the gifts he has entrusted to them. I was supposed to say to them instead of with. You don't end a prep. Uh, sentence with a preposition. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we utilize the gifts that God has entrusted to us. And the, the interpretation of the parable is found in the 29th verse. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has, will be taken away. That is the interpretation of this parable. So the big idea is that faithfulness counts. Faithfulness counts and it will be rewarded by God on the last day, the day of judgment. Faithfulness does count. That is a word that is in short supply in our day. Do we all agree with that? Do we realize that or recognize that? Faithfulness is in short supply. It is hard to find faithful people. And just in a context of the world in which we live, it's hard to find faithful people. Think about jobs, places of employment. Think about uh, married couples. Think about the church. It's hard to find faithful people, people who want to do. Not because they have to, but because they want to. It's hard to find faithful people. Faithfulness is in short supply. In the context of this parable, God calls all of us to be faithful. All of us. So let's look at these principles and we'll get into that faithfulness. The first principle is that all Professing Christians have received some gift from God. All have. Every single Christian. Excuse me. Has received a gift from God. And I'm sorry but talking too much is not a gift. <laughs> I have the gift of gab. No you don't. Hush your mouth. <laughs> You know, you don't have the gift of gab. You need to be quiet sometimes, you know. That's not a, that's not a, 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 you know, a gift. Some people just like hearing their own voice. I think that's what it is. 
So all professing Christians have received a gift from God. So it says here in the, in the passage, a man called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. The goods that were given out belonged to the master. It says he gave his own servant. He delivered his goods to them. Don't miss that language. So the goods belong to the master. They were his to distribute to his servants as an act of grace. He did not have to distribute them at all. And what does this tell us? All that we are entrusted with, which is everything, comes from God and is for God. All that we have, the clothes on your back, the bed that you sleep in, the vehicle that you drive, the mental faculties that you have, the abilities that you have to work and to produce. Every single thing that we have, everything, people, down to the very breath that we take, the inhaling and exhaling, the fact that we're able to put one foot in front of the other, some of us a little slower than others, the fact that you have activity of limbs, even those who don't, they have the, the, the knowledge of knowing that they don't have that activity. Every single thing comes from God. He is the distributor. He is the giver. So the goods belong to the master in his parable. And he distributes them as an act of grace. God gives us everything as an act of his grace. David said in his his prayer in Psalm, I'm sorry, in First Chronicles 29 and 14. He says, for all things come from you. When he say all things, uh, the Hebrew word for all means all. He says, for all things come from you. And of your own, we have given you. He's talking about the gifts that people had given to uh, the treasury when they were uh, going to re, uh, build the temple. It's going to be Solomon's temple, but David... Uh, took up the offerings for it uh, basically and David gave this psalm of praise in First uh, Chronicles 29 and this was toward the end of it he said all things come from you he acknowledged himself that everything comes from God and whatever we give back to God already belongs to him we're giving back to God what is already his everything so we're not doing God. We're not adding to him. We're not doing him any favors by doing things. Because it all belongs to him anyway. Daniel said this in Daniel 5 and 23. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. He was speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, who thought that everything he had was all of his doing. But Daniel said, no. The God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways. 
God owns everything that we do, people. Every good. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness or shadow of turning. So that's the first thing we know in this parable here is that all have received from God. Now these talents in this parable do not represent natural giftedness. Many people have preached this about this parable, that it is about natural gifts. But these are gifts of grace that God bestows on all believers. This parable is not about someone being able to have the ability to play basketball or football or any type of uh, athletic feat. That's not what it is primarily about. It's not about those natural gifts. It is about gifts of grace. And what are some of these gift of, gifts of grace? Uh, Paul talks about them in short in uh, Romans 12. Beginning at verse 5, he says, So we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it in our ministry. Ministry meaning serving. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Those are small example of the gifts of grace that God gives to every believer. That's Romans 12 verses 5 through 8. And God gives them according to his grace, the grace that is given to us. So these gifts in this parable represent that, these talents. Now, some make great use of them for the profit of their master, as we see in the parable. Matthew Poole said this. He says, for the end for which God entrusted them with them to wit the glory of his name and the salvation of their souls. Others make no use at all of them for those ends. So he's saying in this parable, some made use of them for the profit of their master and for the saving of their souls. But others did not make use of them to those ends. Others didn't care about their souls. They just didn't use them. They just didn't care. They were indifferent. But the differing amounts were meant to show the ability of each servant. So the one, remember, the parable said here, to each according to his own what? Ability. So he gave the one five. He gave one of them five because he could handle five. He gave one, two, because that's all they can handle. And he gave the one, one, because that's all that he can handle. But the point is, he gave all of them some gift. He gave all of them some gift. So the amounts show the ability of each servant. One had tremendous ability. The second one had some ability. And the third one had little ability. But all of them had what? Ability. 
All Christians have some ability with which God will use in service for his kingdom. Now, while the abilities may vary, the charge to faithfulness does not. No matter whether a Christian has a lot of ability or little ability, guess what? There's still a charge to be faithful with whatever ability they have. Whether you have a third grade education, a 12th grade education, whether you dropped out of school, whether you went to, to college or whatever. And that doesn't matter. What matters is, are you faithful with the ability that God has given you, even if it's little ability? That's basically what the parable is saying. Everyone as a believer. Just like on a job. Everyone works according to their what? Ability. Everyone can't be a, a supervisor. Everyone can't work in the office and work with the technical things. Everyone can't be an engineer. I can't. I'm not smart enough to be an engineer. If so, I would have gone, gone to school for engineering. Everyone can't be an engineer. Everyone can't be a mechanic. I'm not mechanically inclined at all. I barely know how to use a wrench, <laughs> okay? I had to call someone, hey, could you come change this faucet for me? Yeah, it's easy, man. I know it is for you. <laughs> I need some help, you know? That's not my ability level. But some people have great ability in the area. So they do what? They use it to God's glory. Same thing in the service of what God gives us. All of us have an ability. The point is, are we going to be faithful with that ability? And that we don't want to miss that point in this principle. Principle number two. So we know that all professing Christians have received some gift from God. The second principle is that many Christians make no use of the privileges and mercies received from God. It says here, the one who received one talent hid his Lord's money. Verse 18. He went and dug in the ground and hid it. While the ones who received five talents and two talents gained more, the one with one talent did nothing with his he demonstrated a self-centered attitude towards the money bestowed him. That's what he did. The sad reality is that all that God bestows on us are from his grace and yet we act as if they are ours to do whatever with them. We take what God gives us and say, ah, uh, whatever. Not realize it is an act of grace that God does it. It doesn't belong to us. The, the gifts that God has given us do not belong to us. We have no right to be selfish and self-centered with them and not do anything with them. No, we are to use them. We're not to be like the one who received the one talent and go and hide it and do nothing with it. This thing, that's a, that's a slap in the face to his master who gave that gift to him. He thought he was being wise, but he wasn't. He was being a fool. I'll just go hide it. I won't, I won't do anything with it. I'll just, basically, I'll just keep it to myself. I won't, I won't do anything with it. I won't go out and, and produce and try to 
make one more talent out of it to have two to double it. He was very selfish and and self-centered. He was shirking his duty to faithfulness. And instead, he became prone to laziness and slothfulness, which we will see uh, when the master comes back. We'll, we'll get to that in a later principle. But instead of being faithful, what's the opposite of faithfulness? Laziness, slothfulness. Instead of being faithful. Look, I'm going to tell you all something. Just on the practical sense. I have... Um, I had a supervisor who said this. He said, the best ability is availability. What they say? Half of it is just doing what? Showing up. Half of the job is just showing up. Being what? Available. I'm not making myself out to be a hero. I'm a sinner. But I'll tell you this much. When I was in college, I was working at Old Country Buffet down in Montgomery on the Eastern Bypass next to uh, Montgomery Mall, the shopping center had a Godfather's Pizza. We didn't have a Godfather's Pizza up here, did we? No, it was a pizza chain. Um, but they had a Godfather's Pizza next to Old Country Buffet and uh, a Gold's Gym and all that. Anyway, I saw that at Old Country Buffet as a, a waiter. Uh, waiting tables, we had to bust our own tables, everything, I made good tips. Back then, minimum wage was 225. This was in like, like 1993, 94. Minimum wage is two twenty-five, so we got two twenty-five plus tips. I was killing it. One day the dish room guy didn't show up. Manager, hey, hey, good. You know, uh, need you, need you hear about dish room? So I went there. They showed me how to do it. It's a big old giant conveyor belt because it was a big restaurant. And you know, I worked that dish room. I crushed it. So then they started switching me between the dish room and the floor. And one day, uh, the one of the closing cooks didn't didn't show up, and it was on the fry side. You had the fry side and the steam side. And the steam side, no, the fry side and the, and the bake side. The bake side had those big old convection ovens and all that. And the fry side, we fried stuff. We did the cod and, and the steamer and all that stuff, did the vegetables and all that. So they tried me out in, in, the, in the kitchen that one night. Restaurant closed at 9 o'clock. I finished by 9.15 with all my closing duties. Guess what? They put me in the kitchen. Gave me a $2 an hour raise. Now, what happened was... When people would call out, guess what? They would call me. Hey, girl, you want to come in? Sure. I mean, I'm in college. I'm staying in the apartment. You know, I need to buy food and, you know, I had to pay rent and all that stuff. Every time somebody was off and I ain't had anything to do, they would call me. I had, I had a bike. I rode a bike to work. I did. A friend tell you that. Just about stole. I rode a bike. 30 minutes across town. Sweating, I did. I mean, I did what I had to do. But the point is, every time they needed somebody to come in for work, guess what? I came in. And you know what I showed those managers? I was dependable. I was trustworthy. I, I was able to be trusted. I was dependable. They knew I would show up, and I would get the job done, do it well. I became the closing cook. I, I became the closing kitchen manager while I was there in college. I was there for two and a half years, and. I left that place making six dollars an hour when minimum wage was two twenty-five. I, I was a lot back then, you know. Uh, but the point is, I was dependable. I was reliable. I was faithful. I was committed to my job. And guess what? It paid dividends for me. That is how all Christians should be. 
on our jobs. We should be dependable. We should be trustworthy. We should be available. We shouldn't be people wanting to skip work and ride the clock and lie on their PTO, you know, paid time off and all that stuff, like all the unsaved people do that we probably know they do on their jobs. They tell any kind of lie to get off work. I understand work is hard. It is. It is a grind. But what are we called to as believers? We're called to do and produce with what God has what? Given us. We're not to take what God has given us and squander it, hide it away, not do anything with it. No, we're called to produce. We're called to be producers. We're called to be productive. We're called to be faithful and dependable. As Christians of all people, people should look at us on our jobs and say, man, I, can, I know I can depend on so-and-so to do their work, to get their job done, to not complain about, the, you know, uh, Phil and I used to work at UPS. Phil Moser down at Redeemer. He and I worked at UPS. And in one of our Iron on Iron meetings, this is so funny. It's, it's so funny because it's true. He said the universal language on our job, the thing that brings everybody together is complaining. <laughs> you may have people that disagree about all types of politics and all this stuff on your job, but you did get to complaining. And guess what? Everybody else going to come in and have a complaint too. That's, that's something that brings everybody together is complaining. But what about those times when you see everybody complaining, you just kind of go off on your own to the side and not participate in that. Getting back to work, being dependable, being reliable. That is what we do in the natural world. But it's all spiritual because it, it all still comes from God. God gives us the ability to do our jobs that we do have. I'm going to tell you, that UPS uh, me and Phil was talking about that. We had uh, breakfast uh, back on, on Tuesday. That was the hardest part-time work I ever did in my life. The hardest four or five hours of my day was working at UPS, going in and out those package cars and getting those packages out the belt and so on and so on. That was some hard work. God gave me the ability to do that, and I did it well, and he did too. But God gives us those things that we can what? That we can handle. Remember, according to our what? Ability. And what are we to do with those things? Produce. When we don't do it, we're like the unprofitable servant. We make no use of the privileges and mercy that we receive from God. We shirk our duty to faithfulness. And instead, we become lazy and slowful. And if we don't do it in our actions, we do it in our minds. We do it in our, our hearts. We don't want to do it. But guess what? God has called us saints to something higher anybody can be lazy right anybody can be slow for it doesn't take much effort to do that just don't do anything but it takes effort to be faithful but for believers guess what we have the spirit of God residing in us we're empowered by God's grace the gifts that he gives us God's not going to just only give us these gifts and these abilities but guess what he's going to enable us and empower us to do them. Amen. Principle three. All professing Christians must give an account before God. So it says in the passage, after a long time, the Lord of these servants settled accounts with them. He settled accounts. 
So that's in verse 19. A long time, remember, the second coming. We don't know how long the time was. But he came back to settle accounts. It was after a delay. Now, to settle accounts describes closing an account by making full repayment or restitution. Like you make your final payment on your car or your mortgage. You know, you finally pay your last payment on a debt. That's settling that account. You know, just kind of closing things out a little bit. Okay. So that's what we are looking at. Now, J.D. Barry said this. He says, God in the day of judgment will call all men. And listen to this. To account for those gifts which he has given them. How they used the days. I'm sorry. How they have used the days of life. The measures of health. Their knowledge. Wisdom. Etc. For the honor of his name. And the advantage of their own souls. I'm going to read that again. J.D. Barry said this. In his commentary. He said. God in the day of judgment will call all men to account for those gifts which he has given them. How they have used the days of their life. We talked about this last week about not wasting your life. You know, the parable of the uh, ten virgins. I was telling everybody, especially our young people, don't waste your life. Don't waste your days. Anyway, the measures of health, your knowledge, wisdom, etc. for the honor of his name, and for the advantage of their own souls. All of us. Are going to have to give an account. For the gifts that God has given us. Paul says in Romans 14 and 12. Each of us. And else he's talking to saints. He was talking to the Roman Christians. Shall give account of himself. To God. All of us. It don't mean we're going to be old and gray before it happens. Whenever the Lord calls us, guess what? When that day comes, we're going to have to give an account. We're going to have to stand before him and give an account to him for what he has given us. What did you do with what I gave you? That's the question that we must always have in our minds. Lord, what, are, what, are, what am I doing with what you have given me? What am I doing with the abilities that you gave me? What am I doing to do this in stewardship of you in light of your kingdom Lord what am I doing with this to further advance your kingdom because look God doesn't give these gifts for us for our praise you know I talk about this a lot with my wife about a lot of these uh, you know you have a lot of entrepreneurs out there now which is good See them on Facebook. Instead of promoting their business, they're promoting themselves. Doing all these photo shoots and all this stuff. You know, people that got counseling agencies and, and all these other businesses. They, they're all about themselves. They're promoting themselves and not the services that they offer. Because we live in such a, a self-centered world. Like, why are you not promoting your business? Why are you promoting you? <laughs> that's, that's what you? You're selling you instead of selling what you offer, what your business offers. You're more selling yourself. You're using the job as a means 
to pr promote you. Same thing people do with their gifts. They use their gifts that God has given them to promote themselves. And not to do what? Serve other people. To benefit other people. To, to love their neighbor. To serve their neighbor. To promote the good of their neighbor. But instead, they're more about promoting who? Themselves. What can I do to advance my life? What can I do to manifest? And they're going to have to give an account for that. Because they are using what God has given them to promote self. Instead of using it to be fruitful, to be faithful in promoting human flourishing. If you open up a business just so you can get to six figures and stay in a half million dollar house and drive a $100,000 car. Do you think that that's using what God has given you to his glory? You're using it to do what? Enrich yourself. You're going to have to give an account for that one day. What did you do with what I gave you? Oh, I served myself. Oh, I was able to buy this house. I was able to get this nice uh, Mercedes and post pictures of me uh, on it on Instagram or on Facebook. Oh, I was able to go to, to Buckhead and go into one of these, uh, go to Neiman Marcus or Lord and Taylor and buy a $1,000 suit or some $500 shoes or, you know, whatever the case may be. They're promoting self. They're going to have to give an account for that. So we have to keep that in view. God will call me into account for those gifts, as uh, J.D. Barry said, which he has given to us. And how we use the days of life. Are we wasting our life? Are we wasting our lives away frivolously watching TikTok videos all day? That's what a lot of people do with their time now, right? Or binge watching. Got subscriptions to 20 different streaming services. <laughs> and just sit around and watch TV all day. Netflix all day. Wasting. And there's nothing wrong with watching those things. That's not the problem. The problem is, what are you doing with your time besides that? Or is that all your life consists of? Is that all you look forward to? Is that where your heart's desires are instead of going out and using what God has given you in service to others? Now, the rewards given out to the master are not based on the merit of the faithful servants, but based on the merit of his grace toward them. We see in verse 20 and 21, 22, the one with five delivered five more talents. And he said, what? Well done, good and faithful servant. The one who had two, verse 22, delivered two talents. He gained two more. His master said, well done. These rewards are an act of grace. It is not based on the work 
that the servants did. We must not see this parable as promoting works-based grace. That God rewards us based on what we do. Man, we can't, we can't get like that. That's, that's prosperity theology right there. We cannot think, because a lot of preachers have used this parable to mean that. And you're looking at one who did before his theology got correct. Because I used to preach the same thing about this parable, that that's what it was about. In the uh, former theological system. Until I learned how to exegete the Bible. But we must not see this parable as promoting a works-based grace. Because if so, we're wrong. Because just as the bestowing of gifts is an act of grace, so are the rewards of faithful stewardship. God rewards us faithfully based on his grace, not because of anything we've done. It is all of grace. The rewards that God gives is because he gives them. Why does he give them the way that he does? Because he's God and he can do whatever he wants to. It's not based on anything that we've done. So whenever, whatever we do with God, with the gifts that he's given us, we don't do it in order to earn things from him. We do it out of love to him and love for him and obedience to him. And it is up to him into how he rewards us. He will reward us. It's not that he will withhold it. The Bible says he will withhold no good thing from those who walk upright. God will not withhold those gifts or those uh, rewards from us. But whenever he does it and however he does it, it is according to his sovereign will. We can't think that we can manipulate God as the prosperity uh, preachers think. God does reward faithfulness, but only because of his grace. And we thank him that he does it because of that. Because it's so everybody be trying to do it just to receive something from him. But God is not mocked. Principle four. The last two principles we're going to look at true Christians and unfruitful members of Christ's church. In principle four, we see the true Christians will receive an abundant reward in that great day. Again, he says, what? Well done, good and what? Faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. Now to the faithful servants, they are rewarded, not on the amount of their return, but for their faithfulness. That's why God rewarded them. That's why these servants were rewarded. They were rewarded not because of the amount. He says, what well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful. He didn't say you brought in a lot more. <laughs> he said you were what? Faithful. Over few things. Faithful stewardship in this life will result in greater responsibility responsibility rather and stewardship in the life to come remember that faithful stewardship in this life will result in great greater responsibility and stewardship in the life to come our goal in life saints should be to live for the next life our goal in this life 
should be to live for the next life. Don't live for this life. Don't be like the world. I always say it. For those who are unsaved, this life is the best that it gets for them. They might as well live it up. They might as well live their best life now. They might as well manifest everything that they're trying to manifest, which they actually can't do, but they, they try to. They might as well go ahead and do it because guess what? This life is as good as it gets for them. But for us as believers, we're living for the next life. We're living for that reward. We're living to hear our Savior say what? Well done. That's what we're living for. This is not your best life. We don't live once but twice. This is not our best life. We don't live life to the fullest here. Because this life is not all there is. <clears throat> the next time I hear someone say they're living life to the fullest, I want to honestly ask them, what do you mean? What is the fullest? Like, I know in a uh, secular worldview, it's, it's the, the hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where the highest need is self-actualization, where you're your, quote, best self. You've reached your full potential. That's, that's a psychological, secular psych, uh, psychological term to you. you reached your full potential. You know, you, you, you're self-actualized. You've actualized your best self. You've, you've reached the, the top of yourself. Like, how do you even know that? <laughs> I mean, just think about it. How, how do you know that you're living life to the, how do you know this is the fullest life that you can live? I mean, what, what, what measure are you using? And then if you have, what's left but to go down? <laughs> I mean, if you reach the pinnacle, you're not going to stay there. Or if so, how do you maintain this life to the fullest? It must be a lot of work. It must be very exhausting to keep up the facade in front of everybody and to, and to put all, perform all this mental fortitude, all this mental effort to, to live your best life, to to, to live life to the fullest, to, to manifest all these different things. That's a lot of work. I can only imagine it's tiring. Those people probably go to bed very tired every night. If they go to bed because they're probably working so much to try to live that life, to get the bag, it's a fool's error. But that's what the world teaches us. This is it. Live this life now. This is the best life ever. Live it. Live it up. Eat, drink, carouse, have a good time, party, sleep with whoever you want to sleep with, kill your baby, you know, if you get pregnant. Live, live your best life now. This is it. Don't let anything get in your way. Don't let anybody stop you. Ladies, don't let a man get in your way. That's what the feminists say, right? Don't let, a man, don't let a man, don't let a baby get in your way. Kill that baby, you don't need a man. And then you get old. 
you're not married because they believe the lie the feminists that you don't need a man and guess what they die old and lonely because they don't have Christ even for those who are older and don't have anyone if they have Christ guess what they have it all but those who made the choice because they believe the lie of feminism that you don't need no man. That kids mess up the picture as Oprah Winfrey said. Guess what? They don't have Christ. They're going to be so lonely. And they're lonely now. Why? Because they believe the lie that this life is it. But that should not be our goal. Our goal in this life is to live for the what? Next. They don't even have a church family. If you don't have a family, you got a church family. You have the greatest family on this earth. Why? Because we all share a common inheritance. We share a common future. We share a common goal. We're all one together in Christ. There's no family. We love our earthly families that God has given us. But our spiritual family is the greatest family because guess what? We're not going to spend eternity in heaven with some of our family members. And all of us know that. That's just facts. <laughs> but guess what? We're going to all spend eternity together feasting with each other as we feast with our Savior. That is the life that we live for. And so what do we do? We produce now. We are faithful now because we know that one day when we stand before our Savior, he's going to say to us what? Well done. That nod of approval. That thumbs up. That fist bump. That heavenly fist bump. Well done, good and faithful servant. And the good thing is that the, the faithful Servants don't face their day of account with apprehension. We're not going to face that day with fear. First John tells us that we're going to face that day with boldness. We're not going to sh we're not going to shy away in fear on that great day when Christ comes back and judges us. Because guess what? We were his faithful servants. We were living for the life to come and not just trying to live in this life, putting all our eggs in this basket. When we see Christ, guess what? We is going to be a joyful day for us. First John 2 says this. And now little children abide in him that when he appears. First, he says, abide in Christ, be in Christ. How do we abide in him? By believing in him. By being one of his children. By being saved. Born again. That's how we abide in Christ. We abide in Christ by being in Christ. We're in Christ through what? Salvation. So he says now little children abide in him. That when he appears. We may have confidence. And not be ashamed. Before him at his coming. We won't be ashamed when Christ comes back. Why? Because we're in him. We're, we're his children. We're co-heirs with Christ. We're joint heirs with him. Because of Christ, we are reconciled to God. So when we see Christ, we're going to be what? We're going to have great anticipation. 
We're going to have great confidence because finally we get to see our Savior. Finally we get to meet our Lord. We're going to have great confidence. We're not going to be fearful because we are in him. We abide in him. Leon Morris said the term good and faithful denotes an approval of the servant's character and diligence. He says it translates to excellent and trustworthy. So well done, excellent and trustworthy servant. Once again, Jesus is teaching that the reward for good work is the opportunity for doing further work. As Christians, our sins won't be judged, but our works will be. We'll be rewarded according to our works. The unbeliever will be judged according to their sins because they're going to face eternal punishment. They're going to be degrees of punishment in hell. But all will suffer. But we, we will be rewarded according to what? What we have done, like we read in the scriptures this morning, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What have we done with what God has worked in us? It is him who worked in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. What is his good pleasure? To do his will. What is his will? To do with what he has given us. To be good stewards with what he has given us. To be excellent and trustworthy with the gifts that he has given us. And he's going to reward us according to that. Colossians 3, 25 One of the scriptures I pray about work. Whatever you do, do hardest to the Lord and not unto man. Because from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. That's in Colossians 3, 22 through 25. It is from the Lord that we will receive a reward. And there are rewards that will be given out in heaven. According to what we've done with what God has given us. Amen. And he says, I will set you over much. This is the abundant reward for being faithful over relatively little. The master was very rich because a, a talent was a very considerable amount of money, by the way, uh, in this time. Not to mention he gave one five and one two. So he was a very wealthy man. Spurgeon said, on earth they will be beggars. In heaven they will be rulers. Man, that's great. We'll be beggars on earth. But in heaven we're going to rule over many. Man, thank the Lord for that. Matthew Henry said, there are but few things in which the saints are serviceable to the glory of God. But there are many things wherein they shall be glorified with God. This is such a glorious truth. This should motivate us to do good works with what God has given us. We work from our salvation. Remember, work out your salvation. We work from our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. And the last principle here. All unfruitful members of Christ's church will be condemned and cast away in the day of judgment. Look at what he said about the one talent. He says here in verse 26, you wicked and lazy servant 
Note the correlation between slothfulness and wickedness and slothfulness and unprofitableness. They are both one and the same. To be unprofitable is to be what? Slowful, to be wicked. That's, that's the correlation here. He was unproductive. He did not produce. He was unfruitful. So he was called what? Wicked and lazy, slowful. So there's a correlation between being unproductive with what God has given you and wickedness, being unproductive and being slowful. Because if you're slowful, you're not producing. You're not being a producer. You're being a consumer. You're taking up everything, but you're not putting out. You have more input, but no output. The greatest problem of this servant is twofold. First, he didn't know his master that well at all. He called him a hard man. <laughs> and then second, he did nothing with the one talent that he was given. There are two things to note about this. First of all, men secretly think of God as a taskmaster. And they blame him for their fruitlessness. That's what people secretly do. They, they, they think God is, is hard and he's, he's mean and he's, he's, he's harsh. They secretly think that God's commandments are unjust and fair. Some people actually think that. That God's commandments are unjust and unfair. God is keeping me from doing something. Uh, Ezekiel 18 and 25. Ezekiel said to Israel, Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel. Is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? It's our ways. We're the ones who are unfair. The problem is not with God. It is with us. And that began in the garden. As we read in the catechism. The problem was not with God. The problem was with our first parents. Who sinned against God. It never originates with God. God is not the problem. God's ways are fair. Our ways are the ones who are not fair. These type of men hate God altogether and sin against him through apathy, laziness, and indifference. And those are ways you can sin against God by just being apathetic, by just not caring. Remember, indifference. J.C. Ryle said, a rebellion kills its thousands and indifference is ten thousands. Indifference is a worse sin to, to just care less it doesn't bother me any the sin of indifference is a worse sin the sin of just doing nothing just being indifferent just just not caring just being lazy just being apathetic that is a greater sin and that's the way man is fallen man hates God and they sin against him by being indifferent the second observation from that to note is that the servant's failure lies not in being no good at business, but not even trying. Look at what his master said to him. Okay, he said he's a hard man, right? So we'll look what he says in verse 27. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. In other words... Do something with it. It's not the amount that he received. 
It's just that he saw no reason to do anything with what he was given. That was the big problem. He didn't do anything with it. How many people squander what God has given them to do? Because it's always oh, not that important or it's not something that everybody will notice. It won't get me all the attention or the accolades. So I'm just not going to do anything with it. That's the way a lot of people think. They think because, you know, they don't, it's, it's, it's something that's what they think is mundane. It's like this. When I was a uh, school teacher and administrator, I used to praise the custodians the most because they're the ones that most people don't think about. Everybody thinks about the principal and the teachers and, and the custodians are always the forgotten one on a lot of jobs, the people that come in and clean up. People look down on them. They do. That's where our society is, unfortunately. We think that, oh, what they're doing, you know, they're just here to clean up my mess. And some people make a big mess for them to have to clean up because that's their job. Right? That's the way people think. But you're looking, that person is the image bearer of God also. But the point is, is that some of them may say, oh, that's, that's, that's not anything significant. And just don't do anything. Just be lazy about it. But that job is just as important as the person who owns the plant. The job of the custodian is just as important. Their work is just as valuable. Just because you have little ability doesn't mean that you're apathetic about that and that you don't do anything. No, you take that little ability that you have and work it towards God's glory. Do something with it. I used to always say I had this axiom in, in my class. Something is better than nothing. Right? To do something is better than what? Doing nothing. Some effort is better than no effort. And in the kingdom, that applies. Some effort in doing something with God, with what God's given you, is better than nothing. The, the, sir, the master said, you could have at least put it in the bank and let it gain interest. But guess what? He chose not to do that. And as a result, what he was given was taken from him and given to the first servant. Proverbs eleven twenty four says this. There's one who scatters yet increases more. And there's one who withholds more than is right. But it leads to poverty. That is so true. The one who withholds is the one who is led to poverty. And that's what this servant did. He withheld it. He hid it. He didn't put it to work. He didn't produce he ended up with what? Nothing in the end. And also he would be judged as unprofitable or unfruitful. And he would be fit for nothing in God's kingdom. That's what would happen to this servant. And therefore he is cast into hell. He is the unfruitful branch that is cut off and cast into the fire of judgment. And uh, J Jesus talks about this in John 15. About the branches that don't produce fruit they will be cut off and thrown into the fire because he was unfruitful so as we close what are some implications here as good stewards number one good stewards will have something to show for their faithfulness 
we will have something to show for it on that day when the Lord comes back. We will have something to show for our faithfulness. Good stewards live in the light of 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. And this is what it says. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers above all things. Have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another. God gifts us as believers to do what? To serve each other. To serve the body of Christ with the gifts that he's given us. Not for ourselves, not for selfish glory. No, he gives them to us to minister it, to serve as good stewards of the grace of God. Remember, these gifts are an act of what? Grace from God. So we're stewards of that grace by using the gifts that he's given us by grace. To serve each other. Number three. Good stewards are aware of the judgment of the Lord upon all members of the church of Christ. Those who are good stewards are aware that we will have to give an account for our stewardship before God. We are all aware of that. And so we live in light of that. Amen. Let us pray. Father, first, thank you for uh, blessing us to be able to go through these parables, these great parables of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for how you have strengthened us as a church, as members of your body. We thank you, Lord, for convicting us in areas where we have fallen short. But, Lord, we also thank you for the grace that you've given us to empower us to do everything to your glory. I pray, Lord, that you use these sermons to encourage the saints, to convict sinners, to bring them to repentance. Lord, thank you for your word. May you use it mightily to glorify your name. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.